us. We put a whole lot of work into making sure that this is dialed in properly and that it looks and, and acts the way that we need it to to be successful. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's important that we take care of it as we're moving forward in time because mm -hmm. what we've done up to this point is just prepare. Yep. We've, we've laid the groundwork, we've made sure that everybody understands what the expectations are. Now we have to move forward mm -hmm. and actually manage that and protect it as we move forward. Welcome to The Critical Path with Mary and Jason, a podcast about business development, company culture, and loving the place you work just a little bit more. This is episode 49, and we are talking about... Managing construction schedules. It's going to be exciting, folks. Riveting. Get your jetpacks on. Get your jetpacks on. You're going to need it through this one. This is an exciting one. So we talk about uh, a number of different construction topics. We do spend time on the softer leadership topics, things that are more touchy-feely about the important pieces of running a company, but there are also the, the harder, wonkier bits that we spend time on related to, to nuances of construction, uh, talking about scheduling and software. You may not know this, but Jason's a real construction nerd. Uh, it's, it's wonk. I know you like wonk, but yeah. like... I don't know. So I have like bad political associations yeah, with that I know, word. I know. We're going to be covering some bits and bobs here. That is uh, from my British heritage. You don't have British heritage. I am one sixteenth British. I don't know that that's true. At least, at least one sixteenth. At least. That would Easily. mean no, because that would mean one of your whole grandparents was British, and there's only one of us that had a whole British no, grandparent. No, no, you get you get them in pieces. You know? I don't know. <laughs> They're all hybrids, Mary. Anyway, we're talking about managing construction schedules. And this was actually a request from one of our Jetpack members mm -hmm. uh, from Jetpack cohort, Jason Lang. He was also a guest on this podcast. Yeah, and he was a guest. Episode 41, Leaving Well, which was a great episode. Yeah, so check it out if you'd like to revisit that one. But he was asking for a little bit more information about successfully managing construction schedules. So he had asked specifically about managing construction schedule as a subcontractor, but uh, when we started talking about it, we felt like there was actually a bit we could talk about from kind of several different filters. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is easy to get the picture that, that managing the schedule as as an owner's rep or managing the schedule as a general contractor or subcontractor are completely independent. Um, however, there are a lot of best practices that are very similar, that you should be looking after these things regardless of what your position is or your pecking order is in that contract structure. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna talk about kind of some of the specifics of managing, managing a schedule from a GC's perspective, mm -hmm. general contractor's perspective. Some of the specifics about managing a schedule as a subcontractor, and then we're gonna spend some time just talking about managing schedule in general. So essentially when, when you think about what, what's happening on a construction project is that it is a game of pass the risk. So the owner in- Like in hot the, potato? It's like hot potato, but you are trying to pass all of the potatoes. Can our jetpack be risk potato? Risk, well, we'll have to see where we wind up. <laughs> if we can make it that far. Uh, if we don't lose you, because this is gonna get pretty nerdy. Mm. Because you know, you're the non-nerd in the room. 
<laughs> That's literally never been true <laughs> in my life. But never been truer than when we were talking about construction schedules. Fair. Okay. So uh, so remember, it's a game of pass the risk. You're trying to push the risk down and get it as far away from you as you can, uh, just for the reason that, that taking on construction projects at any level is tremendously risky. There are a huge number of variables, and, and you're counting on many different people at many different levels to all do their job and act responsibly and uh, and not make mistakes. And so there, it's a risky prospect when you take on a construction project because there are so many moving pieces. Um, so when, when I say this is a game of trying to pass the risk, it's not even necessarily a, a terrible thing that it's built this way. It's just kind of the natural resting state of owners and then the natural resting state of GCs and natural resting state of subs to try to shed as much risk as possible uh, because the better we manage our own risk on any given project, then the better likelihood we are to be successful at, at a good outcome on the project. Well, and I think ultimately everyone owns the piece of the risk that belongs to them. Mm -hmm. And so the goal is really to get rid of all of the risk that doesn't belong to you so that you can send it back to where it actually belongs mm -hmm. because every piece of that risk belongs to someone specifically. So when we're talking about managing construction schedules in a lot of ways, uh, we're talking about managing risk of time, mm -hmm. right? Making sure that we've quantified and, and gotten our arms fully around the unknowns that that involve time. Yeah, well, this takes us back to one of your favorite sayings, which is that you're not a project manager, you're a risk manager. Yeah, so project managers, their number one job is to manage risk. Uh, and so it, it gets a little circular here for the reason that uh, money is time and time mm -hmm. is money. And, and when you manage the risk around time, you're also managing risk around money. Mm -hmm. um, it's conventionally seen that the project manager is responsible for the budget and the superintendent is responsible for the schedule. Uh, but at the same point, or at some level, we need to, to understand the schedule and all of the risk tied into the schedule at a very high level. Mm -hmm. uh, so this typically will happen between the general contractor and the owner, or if they've engaged an owner's rep, to generate a, a master project schedule. Mm -hmm. And this is looking at all of the moving pieces from inception of design all the way to closeout and, and completion of warranty period. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's the overarching piece and, and we're looking at the high level piece or high level components to make sure that we understand where all of the risky elements are. Mm -hmm. So for example, if we need to procure something uh, like wood framing, just regular studs, the risk associated with getting our hands on some normal studs is pretty low. However, if there's there are very high-end, uh, very custom, very specific pieces that we have to acquire that have to be handmade in Taiwan or wherever it is, uh, the risk around those elements is much, much higher. So we start by identifying what are those major risk items and use a critical path method style schedule, CPM schedule. Right, because if your regular wood falls through, at, at the end of the day, if you had to, you could just go to Home Depot. Mm -hmm. Whereas the more that we have to procure that specific thing and it's got a long lead time, the higher the risk that it's going to hold the whole project up. Yep. And, and it's all the more important that you understand, and we'll talk more in, in more detail about it, but we need to understand what those big risky items are. What are the riskiest pieces of, of this job? Mm -hmm. And we, we always ask 
and, and work with our clients to help them identify what are their, their major risks on any given project. And many times they'll start the project without even thinking about those things. So that is some of the re-education that we push for, is to go through this process from start to finish. So I think it's important at this point to talk about the fact that, and I think this is part of why people often look at that that first pass schedule and say, oh, there's no point. There's no point looking at it or doing it because it's just garbage anyway. It just gets thrown out because by the time it gets to, especially when we're talking to tradespeople, by the time it gets to our trade, that schedule is not going to look anything like that. We never build it that way anyway. Right. Uh, General contractor superintendents will often throw those things away visibly mm-hmm. on the on the first kickoff meeting with subcontractors to mm-hmm. say this whole thing is garbage mm-hmm. but guess what that was what we were bound to well and i think more importantly the idea is even though those dates aren't necessarily what it's going to look like at all when we get there the process of building the schedule out it helps us identify those high risk items mm-hmm. so that we're we're actually thinking through that whole process for the first time yep. it doesn't matter that it won't all go to plan. If we didn't build a plan, then we're missing really important pieces. Whereas if we build the plan and then continue to evolve it, it's okay that that, that plan later down the road doesn't look like it did on day one. And we'll talk a little bit more about managing impact and, and comparing impact on, I think it's episode 51. I think we're gonna come back and circle the wagons here and talk Mm -hmm. about it then. Uh, But the purpose of this episode is that we're kind of talking about best practices of getting set up properly for scheduling. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to talk about how do you manage and evaluate impact related to schedule. And then we'll have an episode in the middle because it's the 50th episode. Looking forward to it. So we're gonna do something kind of fun Mm -hmm. in the middle because I didn't want our 50th episode to be part two of managing (laughs) schedule. It just felt like we should do something. That's all wrong. So one of the major purposes and major benefits of using a proper schedule is that it helps you identify things that are out of your control. Mm -hmm. And by identifying and quantifying those things, you have the ability to shift risk for those specific pieces. Uh, So let's say I'm a general contractor and I'm contracting with an owner. I'm gonna identify a handful of things that stereotypically are outside of my control. Mm -hmm. So if I quantify that, prior to executing that contract, then if those things go wrong inside of those specific fields or areas, then those are not my responsibility. Mm. That's like a not it clause. A not it clause for specific (laughs) things. So one big one that shows up are owner provided items or Mm -hmm. owner contracted items. So if the owner says, I want you to use these shelves that are made by my wife's husband's company. Yes then that's not your risk as a GC because you didn't get to source that material, so it's out of your control. Right, we didn't get to to manage the procurement of it, so mm-hmm. if your wife's brother's company takes 50, 50 years yeah, to right. produce it, or we saw this on Chihuly Garden and Glass where all of the art was not our responsibility mm-hmm. to procure or or we were supposed to coordinate, right. but it was not Chihuly. Yeah, was not our responsibility to to procure or to, to schedule. Yeah, well, and you guys didn't even install any of the art, right? No. Didn't they have special yep. installers that yep. came out and did that? Yeah. Yep. 
But essentially, if there are project delays related to those elements, mm -hmm. those are outside of our control. So were those project installers directed by you in any way or were they like completely independently? No. So we didn't tell them how to do their job. Mm -hmm. uh, but like managing their schedule yes. or anything like yeah. that. So, so were they like a sub of the GC or were they no. like more like the owner's no, sub were, and a separate? Yeah, they were they were and they were one of the owners. Actually, mm -hmm. so they were one of the owners of that of that contract. The company that did that installation, Chihuly, Chihuly Studios. Oh, so it was Chihuly Studios, like employees yes. who came out and got it. Yeah, and they're artists, and they're the people who built the things that they're installing. Yeah. All so what our responsibility was was to make sure that whatever they were mounting it to was prepped and would hold it, mm -hmm. and that they had access to do it. But one of the. Uh, uh, understandings that that while the general contractor is in control of the site they can dictate who comes onto the site they mm -hmm. can dictate if the owner is allowed onto the site or well, because there are safety the concerns site. and things like that there's safety but there's also logistics and flow and and managing the schedule so if the owner comes on and and provides a bunch of time impacts because they're mm -hmm. in the way they're standing in the way and stuff that needs to go on and you you essentially are entitled to to additional time there yeah um, but so owner provided items you see these items like that will show up with custom pieces or maybe they'll supply the wall covering or uh, something weird or unique that they want to provide and many times owners will provide kitchen equipment they mm -hmm. want to manage that contract they want to manage security because it's an ongoing relationship any of those pieces uh, that are outside of your contract and they're controlled by the owner we would identify what those are mm -hmm. and then if there's a delay or an impact from those then we're not responsible for it right uh, and then similarly, owner selected subcontractors or designers. So if an owner says, you have to use this subcontractor, right? what do you do? Well, in my experience, the last job I worked with them, they did a terrible job. Mm -hmm. So what is my situation? When we did uh, Trump Tower in Toronto, there was a decorative metals package. And there, the, the price for the package was something like, Five hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars. So they were the low bid, mm -hmm. and then the next one up was one point two million dollars. Wow, I remember this. Yeah. So it was one point two million dollars, and the low bid was five hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. So it went, the, the bids went five hundred thousand, one point two, two million, four million. Wow. Okay. Okay, and so right as, I, as we got to Toronto and they handed the contract to me and said, this is who we're going with, mm -hmm. I looked at the bids and I said, I have to go meet with these people. And I, I went out to their shop and they had a ramshackle shop. They were apparently not capable of performing the type of work that we needed. Mm -hmm. And I said, we're in trouble here. This yeah. is not a, not a good situation. So um, in, in that situation, the best thing to do from, from the contract standpoint, if you're required to work with a given person, mm -hmm. if you have a reason to take exception to it, you can essentially exclude any responsibility from from that requirement from mm -hmm. the owner. So you say, if I have to work with these people, I'm then I'm not to. responsible for whether or not they perform. Yes. So if they fail, if they fail to perform, whether we're talking about schedule or quality or what have you, you still have to manage them. Mm -hmm. But any of the failings that were unpreventable, but hypothetically foreseeable from you. You can collect time and money for it. Yes, as long as you notify them of, essentially you would be 
operating under protest. Right. It has to be done at the time that that contractor is chosen. Yes. Because then if they don't like that, if the yeah. owner doesn't like that, then they can just basically free that free from that restriction and right. say, okay, fine, go ahead and pick whoever you want then. Right. And that practice, although less common, is still applicable at the subcontractor level. So at what, at what level do you have to kind of back that up or justify it? So in the situation where the low bid is so much lower mm -hmm. and you went and visited the shop and they don't have the tools, that's yep. easy. You can back that up yep. as much as you need to. Mm -hmm. If there's basically, if you're like, no, I don't like those guys. Mm -hmm. I don't want to use them because I just don't like them. I don't like the look of them. Right. Like you, can you, can you do that? Oh, I suppose you could, but I think you're, you're, the strength of your position would be far less. Right. Right. Because in that situation, it's really just a preference. Right. As opposed to managing risk. And mm -hmm. uh, if you under protest, mm -hmm. refuse to accept responsibility for, for a subcontract mm -hmm. because you don't like the look of their jib, <laughs> that's a different it's the animal. Cut of their jib. You don't yeah, like the cut, cut of, the, of their jib. I look of their jaw. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it, it's a different animal than if. You have prior experience, or you are able to uncover uh, financial information about them. That means they're not in a strong position. So then, if you're gonna, it's with if, cost. If you're gonna work with a subcontractor mm -hmm. under protest, yes. then you wanna you wanna really have your your reasons set up and ready to share with the owner yep. so that yep. you can back that up. Yeah, and and you want to advocate for the project too. And, mm -hmm. and it's not so much to remove everybody. This is sort of like a jury pool or something. Mm -hmm. uh, you want to make sure that, that you're communicating the reason why. Mm -hmm. And you, you're communicating that your interest is, is protecting the project's bottom line as well as your own. Mm -hmm. uh, and next item that are, are that comes into play has to do with permitting and authorities authorities having jurisdiction, AHJs. Mm -hmm. uh, it has to do with code requirements and complying with code. And a lot of this comes down to who is responsible for the design. So mm -hmm. if you, as the general contractor, are on a design build project, mm -hmm. then then in that situation, you're less responsible, let's say you're, you're less uh, excusable if there are design errors. If mm -hmm. your design build you stereotypically are on the hook. Well, you designed it, so you own that design. You, That's the whole thing you're getting paid for. Right. Are you a design professional or not? Mm -hmm. Do you have design liability insurance or not? Mm -hmm. uh, and many times, we we if we've missed a code component or a code requirement, we as general contractors will feel like it's our responsibility to have known that, mm -hmm. or the owners uh, will say, you should have known. Well, guess what, guys? We are not design professionals, and we'll install it to the best of our ability, and we will mm -hmm. follow the provided design in the drawings. So this is something that I feel like I could use clarification just because we hear it a lot, mm -hmm. that people feel that we're supposed to be the expert at our trade, yep. which means it's our responsibility to have all of the code to, to flag things when they're out of code. Mm -hmm. Basically, if someone else hands you a design as mm -hmm. a subcontractor and you install things precisely to that design, often we hear that people uh, are of the opinion that as that trade, they own those code things, even though they didn't do the design. Yeah. So you're saying that's not the case. Not at all. So I don't know if we've talked about uh, responsibility matrices in here, uh, job matrices. Mm -hmm. And in that, in that model, what we're talking about is identifying what everybody's responsibilities are on a given team. Mm -hmm. And so there's a matrix where we show all of the responsibilities on, for the team and all of the positions and who owns what and who supports what. Mm -hmm. uh, 
so in that model, we talk about the idea of a good neighbor rule. The good neighbor rule is that mm -hmm. if someone needs a hand and you have a hand available, you will do the good thing and you will help them out. Mm -hmm. So we went into a company once and we were told by several people that there was a guy at the company mm -hmm. that if you asked the guy for help with a thing, he would go to his desk, mm -hmm. get out his business card, yep. walk back to you with his business card and say, you see what my job title is? Mm -hmm. The thing you just asked me to do, not in my job title. Not there. That's the opposite of a good neighbor. That's right. So the idea here is in, in the effort to try to pass the risk and pass as much risk as they can, then owners or general contractors will push down responsibility saying mm -hmm. that you should have known about that code requirement. Mm -hmm. And many times they'll put that in contracts too, that mm -hmm. you sign and you agree to. Yeah. Uh, but You're the expert. You're supposed to know. But you are not a code professional. You are not a design professional unless you've been specifically hired to be that on mm -hmm. that job. Even if... You are, let's say you do design build work, 90% of the work that you do, mm -hmm. and you're on a non-design build contract. Mm -hmm. you're, you haven't been hired. Your design services have not been employed here. Mm -hmm. If you're not a design professional and you're working on a non-design build project, you're not required mm -hmm. to, to be the code expert right. for that project. That's not the play you're running. Right. Well, and because that's what we're paying for. When we right. pay for design, some of that money is for the labor mm -hmm. of someone actually sitting down and doing that design. Yeah. But the bigger part of what we're paying for is for them to own that risk. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, any of the, the delays associated then with permitting, uh, any delays associated with, with design revisions or code updates, mm -hmm. uh, delays for the inspectors to come out. So if the inspector mm -hmm. takes three weeks longer than they were supposed to, uh, that delay is not your responsibility mm -hmm. uh, unless you're, you're somehow, you know, you have control over authorities having jurisdiction. So the inspector and waiting for the inspector is kind of the same level as like weather or acts it of is. God, right? Absolutely. Like no yes. one can control yes. when the inspector will show that's, up. That's 100% true. <laughs> and if you're required to do extra work because of a code update that wasn't in part of the base contract, that is extra money and extra time. Mm -hmm. So then the owner owns that risk. Yes. Even if, say, you sign the contract, you start working, yep. and then a new code regulation comes out yep. midstream, and I don't know how that would work if that, you know, I, I know that there's some amount of... So if we're getting super wonky, typically yeah. the way that it works is that a given project is permitted under a, a certain... Uh, year of code. Right. So this is under so the 2012 So it won't change code. then? It won't change in the middle of the pro project? Typically not. So unless there's some significant impact or mm -hmm. snag or holdup that would cause you to have to uh, resubmit. So but, that's, but that's, there are places where that happens. Well, and that's like the situation you were in with one project mm -hmm. where it was taking so long to get the project started mm -hmm. that you had to resubmit for the permit and yep. then that was the big the big there was catch a code there that, that we got pulled back into right that yep. because because you had to resubmit mm -hmm. then it changed the code on yep. the project and that meant a bunch more work had to be yep. done so then you had to reevaluate the whole process but that was because the permit expired and if you hadn't had those delays that caused the permit to expire yes. if you had been able to start on time then that wouldn't have happened yes. correct yes but all of those items are in owner control right they have the ability and the risk to control the outcome and the mm -hmm. and the pace there 
But, but even if the owner doesn't have control, even if all of these events happen that arguably were in no one's control, at the end of the day, if that happens, then the owner is the one who yes. owns the risk. In the same way that if we open up the wall and find something inside the wall, yeah. the owner owns that building, yeah. so the owner owns that risk. So if there's something good inside the wall, yeah. then the owner gets the benefit of that, mm -hmm. a million dollar So if we opened case. it up and yeah, found a treasure inside, mm -hmm. we wouldn't be able to take that. If, so in the same way... If you open it up and there's a crime scene, yeah. then the owner is responsible for addressing that. Yep. Right? It's it's on their property or right. contamination spill. Right. Uh, so in the same way... When when we have permitting stuff or, or stuff like that, regardless of whether that is the result of things that were in the owner's control or not, the yep. owner's kind of at the top of that that Food flow chain. chart. Yeah, yeah. because so. they have the most to gain mm -hmm. from owning the property. So backing up to, to trying to identify what are the, the main items that, that uh, we need to identify in the base contract, uh, base contract schedule, one of the, the key items are long lead items, or high-risk items, high-risk vendors, high-risk subs. So this is like long lead items are like our, our teak wood that mm -hmm. we're ordering special order from somewhere across the water. Yep. On one project that I worked on, it would take three months to replace a piece of glass. Mm -hmm. So three months' time to replace a piece of Ooh, glass. Was that coming from Italy, right? No, this was from China, ah. from Shenzhen. Uh, so. <laughs> We and and there are certain pieces that will take six months to procure. There are uh, it, oftentimes uh, securing a tower crane can take mm -hmm. months or years, depending on what the economy looks like, mm -hmm. to secure a tower crane and go through permitting and inspection and all of the various steps that you have to go through. The number one thing that you want to focus on is where are those long lead items at mm -hmm. and how long will those take and how much control do we have to guarantee that we can deliver them when they're needed. Mm -hmm. If we can't guarantee it, then we basically need to create some sort of exclusion in that mm -hmm. schedule to say this one is subject to change. Right. And again, this needs to happen at the onset when we pick those materials mm -hmm. so that then you can say, okay, but that is some super special glass from Italy or Shenzhen yeah. and I'm not going to be responsible for the delay and then the owner has the opportunity at that time to say actually I don't want you to not be responsible so why don't you go ahead and pick something that yep. is comparable I can pick something and it has a three-week lead time right as exactly. opposed to but then there are oftentimes cost mm -hmm. uh, changes in play but you can see where it's so important that this stuff happens up front because mm -hmm. ultimately if you let them make that choice and you don't inform them at that yep. time that they're giving that up then it, that's what causes all the conflict later. Whereas if we decide right up front, these are the items that I'm not going to own the delays on, yeah. you can either be okay with that or you can let me pick something that I'm comfortable owning the delays on. Yeah, and we started a project where 90% uh, of, of the construction project was detailed and designed. But there was 10% of the project that uh, that was not designed yet. Mm -hmm. And I said, it's okay, we can proceed like this and we allocate a certain amount of money to cover that to, to mm -hmm. execute those schematically. But you need to complete this design by these dates in order for us to be able to deliver the project. Yeah. And if we don't have these pieces by these dates, yep. then the schedule is out the window. Yep. And, and cost goes out too. Yep. And it did. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so when you say high risk, so we you said, 
uh, long lead items, high risk vendors, high risk subs. Yep. So what are examples of high risk vendors or subs? High risk vendors are... Is this like your, your low bid guy or is this something different? It could different? be, uh, but they're, they're, they tend to be folks where there's not a lot of competition mm -hmm. in the market. So if there is a, a trade that they don't have any competition for 300 miles, mm -hmm. right? And something happens with that sub, mm -hmm. you're going to be in trouble. Mm -hmm. So you've put all your eggs in this one basket. So this is like the project that you had that had a system that had been designed by the only contractor who could install that system. Yeah, it was their own system. And yep. no one else could yep. work with it. So then that's a high risk yep. vendor or sub, even if you have no reason to believe they're not going to perform mm -hmm. because the risk is high. Yes. Because if anything goes wrong, you're stuck with them. Yes. Well, and so in that case, they had maybe two competitors worldwide. Mm -hmm. And this was their own proprietary design build system. Right. That no so one else could work with. That no one was, uh, they might not even be allowed to work right. with. Right. Right. So the situation is that that's high risk because the I, I'm looking at the amount of work that it takes to replace them. Mm -hmm. If you have an electrician, if you have a painter, you can find a dozen other capable suppliers or, or vendors in the city mm -hmm. who can who can finish that work. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you get into the more and more specific work that's more niche based, there are fewer competent providers of that of that item. Mm -hmm. It gets really tough to, to deliver on. Mm -hmm. So, so if like, you have an artist that's going to paint a mural for you, like Banksy. Yeah, well, that's where. Yeah, right. that's high. That's high risk right. because if that artist gets halfway through that mural, yep. no one can finish that and flakes out yeah. or or dies while they're executing the work. Right. Right. And there's no next of kin who's capable of doing it. Yeah. I mean, there's a huge amount of risk around that. Yeah. So it, it, that's kind of the way that you is think. Is this like about the those. insurance on Jennifer Lopez's butt? That's exactly what it is. <laughs> And you have to manage that risk because, you know, <laughs> do you want to carry it or not? I don't. Anyway, uh, so when you're building... You're replacing Jennifer Lopez's yeah. by, you know? So then when you're, you're managing the risk for items that are outside of your control, uh, when you're, you're creating that initial CPM schedule, critical path schedule, uh, you want to get input from key subs and vendors mm -hmm. because... General contractors are kind of jacks of all trades. Mm -hmm. Jack of all trades. Jacks of all trades. Jacks of all trades. Yes, that's. They're I jacks. knew I was right. Uh, so it's important that you get that input from your key subs and vendors before you lock down your contract schedule for the reason that you are not an expert in every single trade mm -hmm. and you need to get your subs, your key subs that mm -hmm. you need the most <coughs> to commit to those uh, dates and durations. That makes sense. So just make sure that they get eyes on it and mm -hmm. say, yeah, this looks reasonable. This looks like a thing that can happen in this. Yeah. So in this schedule, if we need an elevator or elevator banks or what have you, what is the lead time for that? Mm -hmm. And how much install time do they need? And we're not going to be able to move that around a whole lot. Mm -hmm. uh, so we need to make sure that, uh, that we've locked down our key subs as it relates to the schematic start dates and durations. Mm-hmm. And then we execute that contract schedule with the owner after all of those major activities are accounted for. So mm -hmm. now we principally have a pretty good understanding of what the schedule looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, so we need to make sure that we've identified all of the major risk components mm -hmm. inside of that schedule. 
and we've communicated that to the owner and to the architect and what have you. So everybody knows who's holding what ball. Right. And this is before ever we even sign off on this. This is right. way back in the beginning. Yeah. We start managing schedule at the point in time that we're contemplating taking this project on. Yeah. And again, this takes us back to that conversation about how what dire importance there is to the planning process. So mm -hmm. the idea that if we don't run these things all down and understand which risks we are willing to take before we sign and take all those risks on, mm -hmm. then we've put ourselves in a much worse position for being able to handle that schedule as time goes on. Yeah, and when you accept risks for things that you don't understand, mm -hmm. that is kind of the worst case scenario. We'll figure it out when we get there. Yeah. We've done it before. It's like if I show up with a, a cardboard box and I say, there's something in this box. Would you like to accept the risk for what it is? <laughs> oh, God. That's that's like a fun exercise. Right? So maybe I'm going to open it up and there's like a bunch of candy bars in there for everybody. Yeah. But also like maybe there's like a bunch of scorpions or bees. Or bunnies. Bunnies? Bunnies aren't a risk. Bunnies are cute. Responsibility. I suppose maybe bunnies could be a big responsibility. Bunnies. <laughs> Vanicula. Vaniculas. <laughs> Everything we've kind of just talked about relates to general contractors and their contractual relationship with the owner. Yeah. So the truth, though, is if you are a subcontractor and you're managing schedule, it's not as different as you would think mm -hmm. from what we just discussed about general contractors. Yeah, a lot of those thing, same things still apply. Mm -hmm. So the same idea about understanding everything about the risk you are taking on in your scope mm -hmm. and then uh, communicating that back and and creating exclusions for the things that you're not willing to own yeah it's the same process but instead of negotiating with an owner you are negotiating with the GC right and oftentimes we'll accept risk for items that we're just not even thinking about. Mm -hmm. So the, the key focus here is making sure that we actually run through the process from start to finish to identify what are all of the risk items on the project and have we identified whose court they're in, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so when we're managing the, the schedule as a subcontractor, it's important that we don't commit to a contract or the contract schedule specifically unless we have a handful of, of pieces. These are the deal breakers. Yeah, deal breakers. So we need to make sure that uh, a common clause I see in many subcontracts is that the general contractor has the ability to change the workflow or level of manpower mm -hmm. uh, or working hours or overtime mm -hmm. uh, at no cost to the general contractor, right. which is kind of crazy. Yeah, because you can incur a ton of cost that way. Yeah, and you can totally lose any hope of, of profit on a project. Mm -hmm. So make sure that in your subcontract, you've you've struck that or verified that there's no clause like that, mm -hmm. that, uh, that they, they will typically have the ability to change your workflow and affect the, the schedule and all of that, but there needs to be compensation associated with that. Right. Uh, so with the, the schedule, um, it's important that, that the schedule is either mutually agreeable, so mm -hmm. everybody agrees uh, to the terms and conditions, and let's say if we haven't completed a contract schedule yet, mm -hmm. we just need language that, that captures that sentiment, that we don't have a contract schedule today, mm -hmm. but 
we will create one at a later date and it will be mutually agreeable. Right. And that's so that's kind of the important part is the mutually agreeable, mm-hmm. because I think often people have the pushback that we can't not sign a contract without this all laid out. And that's all fine. But without that language, it says it's mutually agreeable. It means basically they'll create it later and they'll bind you to it, mm-hmm. whether it makes sense or not. Right. Uh, and similarly, you want to make sure that as a subcontractor, you get input from your key subs and vendors mm-hmm. in the same way that the GC did. Uh, and identify the risk items that are outside of your control. So what are you watching for with risk items that might be outside your control as a sub? So as a subcontractor, it would be incomplete design. Mm -hmm. So if there are elements of design that just aren't complete yet or aren't fully uh, thought through, Mm -hmm. it's okay to to proceed on a schematic level, but there will come a point in time where you need that information vetted out 100%. And you should identify, like you did on your project, Mm -hmm. what the date is that you need that by. So there's generally going to be a date where you can say, by the time we get to this point, if we don't have that design complete, Mm -hmm. it's going to start holding us up because we won't be able to move forward. So worst case scenario, when I start a project, I will go through all of the the project documents and generate a list of questions, whether it's RFIs or email or however we're tracking it. And I will issue that list of questions right out of the gate, right after we execute the contract. Uh, These are all the items that I need and these are the dates that I need them by Mm -hmm. to prevent impact. Right. So other pieces to watch for as subcontractors are, again, similar to the previous conversation, Mm -hmm. items that are supplied by others. Right. So if the general contractor or other subs on the site or owners Mm -hmm. are supplying pieces, we need to identify that the risk around that supply is not ours. So if the GC is bringing the materials to the site and sourcing those materials and they're there late, we're not responsible for that. The GC is responsible for that. And you can see that in expensive items like light fixtures or wall Mm -hmm. covering uh, or art pieces or furniture or kitchen equipment, Mm -hmm. that if that stuff shows up late or we have to spend more money than we planned to install it, all of that is premium. Uh, Similarly, with authorities having jurisdiction, so any of those design or code compliance pieces would be outside of our responsibility. And then with the long lead high-risk vendors, we see the same thing happen there. So that's, again, much the same as the conversation we had with regard to the GCs. The same applies to subcontractors. So the, the next big scheduling piece is to make sure that we build a procurement schedule for all of our major items that we're tracking. Mm -hmm. So we want to build a procurement schedule, and some people are a little confused about this, but procurement is just the process that with which we that we use to acquire something for the project. If we're building, there are likely materials we're building with. Mm-hmm. So what are we getting? Where are we getting it from? And who's getting it? And what is the process of review and approval, mm-hmm. uh, sample and submittal and all that good stuff from start mm-hmm. to finish to where we're actually installing it? Right. Uh, So in that procurement schedule, we want to make sure that we have shop drawings and submittal generation identified. So this is time it takes to create the shop drawings. Mm -hmm. This is time that it takes to uh, ask questions in order to create the shop drawings. And we have to build the submittals that will go in for review. 
right? Because that doesn't just happen instantaneously. Right, and it can take weeks or months depending on the work package. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then when that work package is generated, you have to build in time for you to review it Mm -hmm. because it's irresponsible to send the stuff upstream without reviewing it. Yep. And then the general contractor or the client will have review time of their own and their consultants will have their own review time. So there's all of this review time that goes into it. We need to set a placeholder for that. Well, and this is a place where I think you need to come up with what is a reasonable amount of review time Mm -hmm. and then communicate what happens if we don't get it back within that reasonable window. Because this is another place where we hear a lot from clients that they don't get that approval they don't get those documents back and then they get held up and then they don't realize that that impact doesn't belong to them so that required review time for the the customer is oftentimes spelled out in the documents Mm -hmm. so it will oftentimes say allow 30 days for review right so that means that you have to get it to them 30 days before you need it back well before you need it back right so there that is typically a real number and Mm -hmm. i build that into the procurement schedule Mm -hmm. so they're saying why do you need four months uh, right. to procure this. Well, guess what? These numbers are not dictated by me. Well, and then you can say, this four months is including your 30-day review. Yeah. So if you want to change your 30-day review to a two-day review, then guess what? You can have it back in three months and two days. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we're identifying their review time and then identifying if there's a requirement for coordination meetings. Um, and then when we receive that that package back, we have to review it to make sure that, that there aren't any missing pieces. And then we have to release the order. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then we actually have to procure the material and and account for shipping time. Mm-hmm. And it can be hard to pin that down mm-hmm. sometimes. Like it can be hard to know how long it's going to take something to ship. Well, there can be some unpredictability in that. There can be, but you typically use the, the longer option mm-hmm. just to be conservative mm-hmm. because I would rather add a couple of extra days in that procurement schedule Mm -hmm. that gets locked down as as part of the contract Mm -hmm. Um, and i will share that information up front so that we all have the ability to change the outcome right as long as we're in front of that delivery date Mm -hmm. but many times what happens is there is no procurement schedule Mm -hmm. and we just kind of bumble our way through it and and before you know it we're all under the gun and we're we're confused about how many days did it take the owner to review. Mm-hmm. So then we feel responsible for it and then we pay for expedited shipping mm-hmm. and overnighting and then we work overtime and we overstaff, we, we crew up and burn all of this excess energy and there was no reason to burn any of that mm-hmm. if we would have just managed the procurement process properly. Right. But I think that one is one that that is super important that if we can get out ahead of that, it makes a huge difference in stress level on projects as well as the success. Yeah. Well, Just I, knowing I, what's coming and when it's coming. And that is customer service. Yeah. And many times people will just skip that step and say, well, we work really hard. We mm-hmm. take really good care of our customers because we end up giving them a discount at the end or, right. or losing our tail. Uh, on a given project. Right. I lost money for you. Mm-hmm. Guess what? You didn't have to do any of that. Right. It was your lack of a procurement schedule that made you lose the money and not the client. Right. And, and failure to manage that process. Mm-hmm. So when we're, when we're reviewing that contract schedule, we want to make sure that all of our durations for our major activities are captured. So this is another point of contention that we talk about a lot in training where people, again, say, well, that schedule that you get, 
stuff moves around so much that start date and that end date are never accurate. Mm -hmm. But the truth is the start date and the end date are less important than the duration that's in between. So if the work shifts and stuff changes and now we're going to start it two months later than we had originally planned, how long was in that schedule for our work? Because that shouldn't change. That's the duration. And that duration should not change. So if you had three weeks to do the work to begin with, you should have three weeks no matter how that schedule changes. And if they change that, then you can push back. So I use the example of, and we'll talk more about this in, in evaluating scheduling impacts, but if, if someone sent you a drawing that's completely different from the original drawing that you bid, of course you would reprice it. Of mm-hmm. course there would be a cost impact. But now if someone sends you a schedule that looks completely different than it did to begin with, we're more confused about that for some reason. Right. And well, it, and I think we often just feel like, well, now I just am stuck with this. That's I'm just stuck what with happens. This. They, do, they do this to me and Every I'm stuck job. with it. Yeah. If you give a mouse a cookie, then, you know, they're going to want a Mercedes? I don't know. (laughs) Well, and you just, you have to, I think one of the big things that we talk about a lot is the idea that we have to manage time in the same way that we manage money. Mm -hmm. So the idea of giving them a change order that is a no cost change, but we get a week for it, mm-hmm. right? The idea that, that is worth something. we have to think about the fact that we have to manage that schedule date mm-hmm. in the same way that we manage the dollars and cents. So when you're reviewing that that schedule, you need to make sure that your, your principal durations are captured. Mm-hmm. You have a week per floor. You have a week per floor uh, for this activity and three days for this activity. And I don't mm-hmm. care when they start or stop. Yep. I care that you have that same amount of days Mm -hmm. to complete that work. Yep. Um, And it's important that you understand what the stacking relationship is between activities. Mm -hmm. So if you are doing multiple floors, and let's say on the original schedule, you're only on one floor at one time. Mm -hmm. So you have 10 people on one floor at one time. Mm -hmm. And then next week, you go to the next floor, and you move your 10 people up to that floor, and then on and on. However, one of the the tactics that gets used to shorten the overall schedule is we squish all those things together. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) now you do have one full week for this floor, Mm -hmm. but for the next floor, you're expected to start on Wednesday Mm -hmm. of this week. So now you're in two places at once. So that affects your workflow too, because now Mm -hmm. you have to typically crew up in order to manage that Mm -hmm. and it changes the workflow. So it's not that it's unmanageable, but you need to make sure that whatever practice you put together or whatever thought process was used to estimate it, that is the same way that you're delivering it now. Mm -hmm. So you need to watch for that compression of those activities Mm -hmm. and protect your activities, protect your durations from stacking. Right. Um, And then another schedule piece is making sure that the amount of premium time that you've included, so this is overtime, weekends, nights, nights, uh, holiday hours, Mm -hmm. uh, any of those, those premium wages, we need to make sure we identify how many dollars do we actually have in our current budget, in our base budget for those activities. Right. Because uh, sometimes this happens as a result of the schedule getting out of control, mm-hmm. but a lot of times this is planned to begin with, where this is night work. We can only do this work at night. Yep. And so if that was the plan from the beginning, then you should have dollars for it. But mm-hmm. by and large, 
many construction projects should include zero overtime dollars. Mm -hmm. And in the case that you're required to do it because you're being requested to to mm -hmm. implement that work differently, that is an impact. Absolutely. So we need to make sure that we've captured and communicated how much premium time, if any, mm -hmm. we have in our base contract. Right. So after we capture all of our, our key contract items and we get that incorporated into the contract schedule and in the mm -hmm. contract, then it's important that we manage that whole process. We put a whole lot of work into making sure that this is mm -hmm. dialed in properly and that it looks and, and acts the way that we need it to to be successful. Mm -hmm. um, but it's important that we take care of it as we're moving forward in time because mm -hmm. what we're, we've done up to this point is just prepare. Yep. We've, we've laid the groundwork, we've made sure that everybody understands what the expectations are. Now we have to move forward and actually manage that and protect it as we move forward. Well, and I think it's important too that you know we talk about scheduling as a GC and we talk about scheduling as a subcontractor, and they're much the same, but there are differences. Uh, but often what happens is the GC has a schedule. Like I don't know a lot of GCs who are trying to run projects without schedules. Um, most of them have schedules. Most, most most have schedules. But then the subcontractors, they get that schedule from the GC, mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily take the steps of building an internal schedule for yep. their own work. Yep. So the schedule from the GC is going to say, you start your work here, you end your work here, but they don't actually go in and, and kind of figure out their internal steps mm -hmm. and procurement and how, how they're going to interact with it. And it feels to them when you ask them about scheduling, say, well, I don't need a schedule because mm -hmm. I get one from the GC yeah. but it's really important to understand that there's an entirely different value to your own schedule it's a different thing it's a different tool this is like expecting your employer to manage your personal finances for you at home right, right? exactly Those are different things well they have an accounting department and they give me a paycheck well yeah they do and but the finances they're managing are in their interest right and they're not they're not intended to take care of your interests and so the way that you need to interact with both of those as a subcontractor is first you look up at the schedule that's given to you and understand the durations in those and then that information should travel forward into yeah. your own schedule so that those same durations are reflected and you understand how long you have to work with yeah. and how you're going to do what you're going to do within that schedule right well, and, and then it should feed into your company's master schedule mm -hmm. so that you have visibility yes. of all of your projects as they're moving. and you, So that you know what's going to happen with your manpower and mm -hmm. your resources. Yeah. So you can predict, predict and protect the interests of your company. Yeah. And I would say few of the subcontractors that we know mm -hmm. have a scheduling process internally at all. Right. And of those few even fewer have master scheduling mm -hmm. going on within their company. And it is such a valuable thing to have. Yeah. Okay. Well, I feel like we beat this one pretty hard. Yeah, I think so. And uh, we're going to be talking again in two episodes. Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking about, so really everything we talked about today was how to set up your schedule, yeah. how to understand your schedule before that starting pistol. Mm -hmm. This is like how to prevent the fire. Yeah. Right? It's much easier to keep the fire out and, mm -hmm. and keep that keep the zombies out of your house, mm -hmm. for referencing our Halloween episode. And, <laughs> uh, it's much easier to keep an A than to uh, 
than to recover one. Uh, so we'll be talking in two episodes about now that you have captured this all and set your feet right to begin with, how do you manage it then in the day-to-day and how do you capture those impacts and understand what they mean and what they are. Mm-hmm. And you're much more likely to come out the other end with with a strong schedule and performing work on time. Mm-hmm. The interesting part is the correlation between the, the level of effort you put into managing and protecting your schedule and the number of uncompensated overtime hours. Mm-hmm. So if you pay attention to how well you manage your schedule and how many overtime hours you pay for out of pocket, mm-hmm. there's a direct correlation there mm-hmm. in terms of, of managing the risk. Absolutely. And when we fail to manage the, the schedule impacts, then you see our overtime hours increasing unnecessarily, mm-hmm. and we spend more money per hour to get less productivity per hour. Yep, absolutely. But we'll be talking more about those impacts yep. in two weeks. And next week, we're going to come up with something interesting and different to do for our 50th episode. Woohoo! Our kids turning 50. It's 50 episodes. <laughs> so... Interestingly, we did a little research for the upcoming 50th episode oh, yeah. and found that most podcasts mm-hmm. don't make it beyond seven episodes. Seven episodes is the first stall point, mm-hmm. and then it's what between 14 and 25 is the second mm-hmm. interval where, where podcasts cease to exist. Mm-hmm. So we made it. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it's called? <laughs> so, what's the jetpack? Oh, what was our jetpack? Oh, it was a risk hot potato. Risk potato. Risk potato? <laughs> it was risk potato. Risk potato. Yeah, so... Uh, if you have the uh, artistic inclination, go ahead and send us an image of risk potato. And we'll send out something special to you. Risk potato. So, you can find us... You can find us... At www.thecriticalpathpodcast.com. You can find us on... You can find us on in the iTunes store and other podcast apps, wherever you download and find podcasts, you can probably find us there. Rate us. Give us five stars if you love it. If not, give us however many stars you think we deserve. Give us zero and a half stars. Give us as many stars as you think we deserve uh, or leave a review and that will help other people to find us so that we can get out there. Love it. What else? Um, You can find us on LinkedIn. Yeah. I was waiting for your like random. You can find us. Like your spider Getting social another media. cup of coffee. Yeah, you could definitely find that. You can find us on LinkedIn, Jason Sturgeon, Mary Sturgeon, Arcade Wayfinding. Yeah, we're there. We're everywhere. And we're here uh, right off the West Seattle Bridge. Yeah. Come in, have a cup of coffee, say hello. Watch for it. Watch for it. Welcome to the Criddle. This <laughs> 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 this kind of day. Welcome to The Critical Path with Mary and Jason, a podcast about business development, company culture, and loving the place you work just a little bit more. This is episode 49, and we are talking about... Construction schedules, managing a construction schedule on a project. Like, you're not even messing with me during the intro. Like, are you even here? Your levels aren't even on. Like, how am I supposed to know whether or not you're blowing out my mic from over there? The thing is, you don't need to see them. Only I need to see the levels. No, I need to see them. It's for my editing. You don't edit. You always need to 
be aware of where your levels okay, are. Okay, so this sort of is like always know where your towels. So this are. is episode forty-nine. Forty-nine, yeah, and we're talking about. And you have edited how many episodes thus far? Fifty, because there's one that hasn't been released yet. Zero. It's actually the secret lost episode. You have edited zero episodes yourself. Uh, well, I've delegated that. So if you listen to last week's seven levels of delegation, mm-hmm. I've been delegating all along. Mm-hmm. And delegating. Delegating. It means I don't even have to check back in. I know that it's just going to get done. Yeah, because I do it. <laughs> but I've been responsible for it. That's that's delegation. I don't know that that's true. (laughs) Okay. Here we are. All right. Let's 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 go back. That was a mess. Reset. Reset. Ready? Do it over. That's for the outtakes. Okay. For the for the crowd that stays after the show. Yeah. For the after party. For the after party. Welcome to the critical. Why can't I say critical today? For the hotel lobby. (laughs) Hotel lobby is that where the after party is? Yeah. In the hotel lobby? Yeah. I've literally never... You don't know the song? I probably do, but I've never been to an after party. Look, when I was hanging with Kanye, (laughs) the after party... Whatever. After party, you go to the hotel lobby, right? Is it a Kanye song? I don't know. It's a song. (laughs) Here we go. Literally never been to an after party. Now, I kind of have a problem with it now that I think about it. Like, after party. Why haven't I ever been to an after party? Lobby. Yeah. Oh, snap. It's R. Kelly. You yeah. just quoted R. Kelly. I did. We should edit that out just for it being R. Kelly. After the show, it's the after party. And after mm. the party, it's the hotel lobby. Around about four, you got to clear the lobby. Then head, take it to the room, and freak somebody. Hopefully someone who is of legal age. Oh, of course. <laughs> Of course. Assuming you're of legal age, if you're, that is a prerequisite. If you're not R. Kelly, well, but I, I feel guess like there's an exclusion if you're R. Kelly. There's not. I'm not saying there shouldn't be. He didn't understand that <laughs> that there in fact wasn't an exclusion <laughs> for him. A fundamental step. It's yeah, but I think the truth is that if you're at a party mm-hmm. and then you make it to the after party. And then you clear the lobby at 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. and then go to a hotel room and freak somebody? Yeah. You're probably of age. You hope. Like, those steps, to get through all those steps, you're probably not oh. underage. Oh, yeah. If you're the one clearing the lobby? Yeah. yeah. And you're the one with the room sure. that you're going to freak somebody in? Yeah. Okay. Enough R. Kelly. This isn't the R. Kelly podcast. You started the R. Kelly. No, you just didn't know the lyric. Like... I don't listen to a lot of R. Kelly. I, maybe this is surprising to you. Yeah, I'm not the aficionado, but... I Apparently, you are in our relationship. What are we talking about? Are we ready to do this? Maybe if I can say the word critical. Okay, here we go. One more time. 